Salam, this is In Conversation from Network Reorient in association with Reorient Journal and the Critical Muslim Studies Project. We aim to explore the post-Western, reconnect the Islamosphere. In this episode, Uzma Jamil is in conversation with Santiago Slabodsky on decoloniality, decentering, and genealogies. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Network Reorient. Uh, today, I have with me Professor Santiago Slabatsky, who is the Florence and Robert Kaufman Chair in Jewish Studies at Hofstra University in New York. Uh, welcome, Santiago. It's very nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So uh, I wanted to have a conversation with you today about a couple of things uh, that I've sort of been seeing and reading. Um, one of the things that I've been seeing decoloniality and decolonization has become sort of this buzzword that, you know, like it comes around in circles. Um, and thinking about what, what that means in terms of uh, politically and epistemologically, what does that mean in terms of our work? So I wanted to sort of start, um, or invite you into, I guess, having a reflection about your work and how it relates to uh, coloniality and particularly in, in terms of how the Jewish subject um, is an entry point into into talking and thinking about coloniality. Um, why don't Why don't we start there? What are your thoughts on that? And, and... for sure, yes. So thank you so much for the question. I I believe we should be happy. We should be happy that after such a long time that people have been working very very hard to understand the implications of coloniality throughout the world. There are so many people interested to pursue this in so many areas and the study of different religions in particular. So. First of all, let's be happy about this. At the same time as you were said, you know, when something becomes a buzzword, sometimes go to places that sometimes can be original and unexpected, and sometimes might not have the level of either epistemological coherence or a political commitment that perhaps they have at other times. Uh, but I do believe we are seeing today an opening of pluriversal understandings of coloniality. And I think that this is an excellent starting point. But I think for a moment, we might need to step back and see, okay, how much coloniality has contributed until now? So coloniality, at least as a concept, emerged largely from a Latin American school, trying to understand how it will be to think about the permanent patterns of domination that started uh, during colonialism, but clearly exceeded it. And they had done a fantastic job trying to understand from Latin America and re-understanding the world from that perspective. That went through different waves. There is some great agreements. There are also disagreements. And uh, this intersected, fortunately, with other traditions of thought, such as creolization, critical Muslim study. Uh, I would say, in my case, you know, what is going to become Jewish decoloniality that offer us a different perspective of how to understand not only uh, the different racializations, but also the interrelation among them. Uh, I believe that today we might be a little bit at risk of somehow going to a very superficial understanding of what the coloniality means. Mm -hmm. At the same time, the multiple people working on the coloniality Help, help me to think that perhaps we are going through understanding a much more, in a much more deeper way the different uh, uh, global designs that we are 
uh, that, that coloniality presents by having different people doing this. This is why it's so important to keep all the conversations on the coloniality from different standpoints to actually see the depth of the global designs. Okay, yeah, so I, I, I think you're making a good point in terms of how the attention of a certain political moment or uh, the motivations of, of certain political moments open up certain ways of thinking and certain ways of talking about it. Um, but what does that mean? What are the consequences of or implications of that for the particular work that we do? So in, what I mean there is what does that mean for your work? And what does that mean for the work of others that you're in conversation with? So for my work means that uh, I need to actually pay very, very strong attention to the experience of multiple people to see both the interrelation and difference to understand global designs. And as such, I have been working for a long time, you know, being someone who particularly focuses in Jewish studies. I have been working a long time with Latin Americans. I have been, you know, working with critical, you know, in relation with people doing critical Muslim studies, I would say from Walter Mignolo to Salman Said. Uh, understanding that they are bringing different perspectives that in interrelations can help us to illuminate problems. Mm -hmm. I believe the, the issue, the issue and the problem, sometimes the problem happens when we are taking perhaps only one perspective as a, an hegemonic one. A, and when we do that, we can finish in problematic, uh, I would say, in, in some kind of problematic consequences. So I would say that even though I see the coloniality uh, being done very well by many people, at the same time, when we are talking about the field of religion, uh, this has been an emphasis on understanding the experience of those communities who have been Christianized. As such, uh, first of all, that is an excellent starting point in many ways, because we are seeing there a level of, of what is called relative exteriority. That is going to be very illuminating. People that, as Louis, Go Louis Gordon always said, that you know, that even though we might not be, be able to dismantle the master house with the master tools, the colonized people have done very interesting things with the master tools to actually modify the master house. So to actually think about it, the colonial Christianity is very important. It allows us to think the different creative things that have been happening. Now to limit the conversation of the coloniality to what is called a Christian with Christianity, present also certain problems. The first problem is that we are universalizing an idea of Christian hybridity, where many communities have been fearful about this because they are saying that eliminates traditions that have been resisting against Christianity for a long time. And they can emerge as alternative possibilities. The second one is that we are emphasizing some experience over others. And this is why I want us to go to native cosmologies in, uh, throughout the Americas, to uh, Yoruba and Igbo cosmologies in Africa, to Islam, and ultimately to Judaism as well. As this possibility is that from a level of relative exteriority has something to contribute to the discussion. My Can you elaborate a little bit? Sorry to interrupt, but what do you mean by relative exteriority? So um, the concept of exteriority has been taken largely by the conversation that Enrique Dussel had at some point with uh, 
Emmanuel Levinas, this Lithuanian French Jewish thinker. And Levinas understood that there is uh, an other that cannot be actually trapped by the conquest of the self. And as such, he was talking about the Jewish resistance to be hegemonized by Christianity. Even though we can discuss what happened historically or not there, uh, uh, Levinas, uh, Dussel is trying to radicalize uh, Dussel and said that actually he wanted to talk from the such as has been colonized. And as such, is such a kind of exteriority that Levinas actually couldn't say. Because Levinas was mostly talking about an intra-Jewish, an intra-Christian, and Christian-Jewish relation in Europe, where we have a lot of other Christianities, a lot of other Judaisms, but this is not what, what Levinas had in mind. So what Dussel does is Dussel push the limits in order to understand this level of exteriority of people who have been colonized. And as such, they have been negated in their own selves. This idea of exteriority, it becomes an idea of a little bit of a relative exteriority. Why? Because it's not an exteriority that stands outside the system, but it's an exteriority that either resisted the system and has been created and translated and reformulated cosmovision in resistance and resistance today, or have even been a product of coloniality. And from that perspective, they can contribute. But what I want to say here is that we shouldn't privilege one over the other. We shouldn't privilege those um, cosmovisions that existed before and they resisted. And those cosmovisions have been uh, manufactured by coloniality. I think that uh, a pluriversal coloni pluriversal decoloniality, a pluriversal confrontation with coloniality has to do with the emergence of the interrelation between all these multiple experiences. And this is why I believe that, uh, that um, the emphasis that have been until now on Christian decoloniality between the field of religion, not outside the field of religion, is an important development. For a long time, many of us have been pushing religion to actually take seriously coloniality and decoloniality. And now many people do it. But they do it in such a way that they are emphasizing that uh, many times that some kind of new universal consciousness is going to come from these hybrids. And I believe that even though we are all hybrids at some level, because we are all have been somehow uh, being, um, a, a, be, being brought into the system at different levels, uh, we need to actually see that different populations have, have suffered coloniality in different ways. And they have cosmovisions to confront it from different standpoints. So my work has been to emphasize on two factors. First, what is the interrelation between the native question, the African question, the Muslim question, the Jewish question? What are the interrelations? Because I do believe that even though there are clear differences, what you should point out History shouldn't be collapsed. Coloniality has been either rationalizing us in network or they have pitting us, us against each other. Uh, so the first factor is to understand the interrationalities between histories of racialization. And second is going back a little bit to do so, to understand that pluriversality has to do with the conversation that communities political coalitions, and intellectuals of different communities are going to have with each other. Knowing that 
one of the problems we have had with monetic colonialism has been understanding that there is universal consciousness, that there is one group of people who is going to get it. Even though I do believe that some people, because of the place they have included in the racial hierarchy, might get more than others. I want to admit that. There's no question about it. I do not think that there is some, something called universal consciousness. And as so that, if I understand, if I'm understanding you correctly, so what you're saying is that if we're thinking about decoloniality as a decentering of Eurocentric and Western um, epistemologies, you're actually also saying in, in your case, in terms of your work around religion, is that, that Christianity is also part of that decentering. And then once we decenter, uh, the question then is to then think about what do all those decenterings look like and what are the conversations between those uh, decenterings i'm using this yeah. loosely uh this word yeah. loosely but uh, but i like your point about the fact that not everybody is affected by coloniality or rather the impact of coloniality does not function in the same way for everybody that there's not a mass and which also means that on the other side that the the, the hegemonic so to speak is also not a, a homogeneous mass in some sense either that it works in different ways on different communities and then in the history uh communities is relevant for thinking about that. So I want to develop this idea a bit more about what you're saying about the conversations between, so the Jewish question and the Muslim question and, and yeah. all of these sorts of things. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? So uh, first of all, I think you got, you know, you got what I was trying to say completely right. Okay, uh, I do, I do believe that there is a need of this conversation, but I will just say that this conversation is artificial. I think we have had integrated histories of racialization for a very long time. Not only integrated histories of racialization, but also interrelated histories of resistance and re-existences. And as such, I think we need to depart from there to talk a little bit what you were asking me. So just to think a little bit about this, you know, we have from Edward Said just thinking that you know that uh, that anti-Semitism and Islamophobia and Orientalism in, in his case in particular has been actually interrelated. Uh, what Gilad and Hichar said that all questions about Jews are questions about Muslims, uh, and you have a very very excellent work by that, by Ella Shohat trying to understand how this interrelation not only um, uh, interrelate. Arabs and Jews, but also they erase Arab Jewishness as well. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about the com conversation between Jews and Muslims in this way, I think there is a conversation between Jews and Muslims that could have happened and have happened, I would say, very limitedly between post-colonial studies. And I think that that is helpful. That is very helpful because that shows that in a particular place, starting largely in post-18th century, there were interrelations in the way of both racialization and resistances that we can trace between Jews and Muslims. Now, the coloniality and the coloniality offer something else. Offer to see this in saying. So what I was saying is that there are histories of interrelation and resistances are resistances that we need to to to, to trace. So postcolonialism offers offers a framework to do that. And there are some people who have been doing that extremely well. Actually, there's a long list at this school, but also they have been resistances. What the coloniality provides is the possibility of thinking in the long durée of the situation. Departing from the 16th century, 
offer us the possibility of thinking about the role of Muslims and Jews, not only in the relation with each other, but also in the relation with global designs that include many other people as well. So in terms of how we can think about Jews and Muslims in the concept of decoloniality, uh, from the very beginning, the racialization of one and the other has been parallel and has been interrelated, but also they have been pit against each other to arrive to the moment today in which an Arab-Muslim uh, conversation is always understood as mostly artificial. Without thinking that there is a lot of histories about this. But in this way, I want to return to, to, to the questions that, for, for example, Salma Insadi present, which is, you know, about the Muslim problem and the centrality of the Muslim problem to understand also the coloniality. What would be to ask the same thing about, about, about Jews? And this is a little bit what I try to explain in my work. Uh, I believe that to actually see the different ways Jews have been placed and replaced and transformed in different political designs throughout modern history, help us to understand how things move. And this is why for me, looking at Jews is very important. Not because I, there is, I believe that there is anything particularly special about Jews. Well, I think there is everything special about all racializations, okay? And there are particularities about every racialization. But at the same time, I just think Jews are one more case that help us to explain what has, why, why the things that have been happening. So the Jew is for me, or the idea of the Jew is an entry point to understand the logic of coloniality and the development of coloniality through history. Okay, so there's a lot of things that you've said. Uh, let me sort of go back maybe a little bit and, and pick up on a few things. So one, I think you're talking about the artificialness of this conversation or, or treating it as artificial. Um, I, I think I wanna go into that a bit more only because I wanna know what you mean by artificial in that thing. So that's one thing. The other thing I'm sort of thinking about is um, racialization as, as a genealogy in some sense. Mm. And how does that genealogy connect between the Jewish subject and the Muslim subject? But how do we, is there a way to have this conversation outside of the Americas? Mm. Because I think most of the history is actually, or most of the work done that I'm familiar with yeah. is in that context. Yeah, uh, so um, so coming back to, to the first question. Uh, the artificial. Uh, well, yeah, so if we actually look at history and the way that Jews and Muslims have been co-racialized together for a long time, show us that actually there's a long history. We don't need to go to this, uh, this uh, we don't need to romantic, romanticize, you know, El Andalus, even though yeah. we can recover it to actually understand yeah. that for a very long time, Jews, uh, ha we are, uh, a, a integral part of a fabric in multiple Muslim societies. And as such, uh, it was much more logical before, I would say, the 19th century to talk about a Judeo-Islamic than a Judeo-Christian tradition. Mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't mean that things were equal. That doesn't mean yeah. uh, things were all done well. But it means they were an integral part of, of the fabric of it. Right. So, so in that sense, we're not discovering this relationship. Exactly. It was always already there. Yeah. That is the point. Yeah, and interrelations where they are both interrelations in terms of racializing discourses, but also of lives together. 
You know, if we actually think a little bit about history, but not even 17th, 18th century history, when you have Jews escaping, uh, escaping Christian domains to go to Muslim domains, because what the logic has things to do. Um, but also even the 20th century, Albania, a largely Muslim population, is one of the few populations in Europe that multiplied the Jewish population uh, during the Holocaust. Why? Because they were, in, and they knew they were going to be hosted in a very, very different way in Albania. You have a Jacob Sanoa, like in the late 19th century, coining the term Egypt for Egyptians, uh, and who was a Jew, a Jewish journalist. So why a Jew will be calling the term Egypt for Egyptians? It was not that Jews belong to the Egypt, with the, this construction of the Egyptian nation. And yes, we can talk about class difference, we can talk about elite difference there. We, we could do that, but at the same time, the histories are completely interrelated. How is Mohammed V uh, was calling for a Jewish-Muslim-Berber alliance as far as the 1940s to actually expel the, the, the first of all, the Nazis and later on the French, uh, the French colonization for Morocco. Why? Because Jews were integral part of the social fabric. Again, this is not about equality. This is not about, about, about romanticizing this. It's just talking about a long-standing conversation, a long-standing structures that somehow got disrupted for colonial reasons. So I'm talking about the artificiality. I am saying that it is a Jews and Muslims. This is a long history of belonging to the same communities, of creating spaces together, or being rationalized together. And perhaps it's time not to romanticize it, but to understand that the Jewish, the conception of the Jewish Christian tradition is a very recent phenomenon that has been mostly developed for political reasons. And as such, you know, my work showed that Jews has historically been belong to a different place. And I want to see which place was that. Not to exculpate Jews, or the contrary, to talk about Jewish responsibility through history, but just to understand how the Jewish subject has worked in order to develop coloniality, both as a victim of coloniality, as a collaborator sometimes with coloniality, and sometimes even sometimes as a perpetrator as well. Jews have fulfilled multiple roles. I do insist that throughout modernity, and until the very late 19th century, Jews have been victims of coloniality. That does not mean that they haven't been projects that place Jews in different places. But also, they place multiple people in different places as well. So the Jewish subject is one history of racialization, which, by the way, has multiple histories inside and multiple differences, that can help us to understand the depth of the problem. Uh, and yeah, the second. The second question, if we remember, is um, uh, about racialization and genealogies of racialization. Well, yeah, well, you know, I think it's intimately related with what you what we were talking before. You know, um, there are in 1492 uh, there is there is something new that comes to place. Some people say that that newness has to do with the start the consideration of some people as inhuman, beyond humanity. Some people will uh, think that what it changed is uh, the expansion of Christianity. So there are different versions of from wh which, 
which the colonial school you depart. We are going to actually see differences. Uh, and I am not going to negate in any way that there had been racialization before 1492. But in 1492, this racialization take different depth. It takes a different level of radicality and is the starting point of a global expansion that will finish with Europe conquering over 80% of the of, of the globe and influencing virtually the whole globe by the 20th century. So I take this symbolic 1492, and in this way, I follow both Latin American school that believes that something's changed in ways of racialization, but also work like Ella Shohat, who talks about the multiple 1492s. And in one of those multiple 1492s has to do with the Jewish-Muslim relation. The Jewish-Muslim relation has been a space where, uh, even though they have been forced into accepting uh, what Aníbal Quijano ultimately will call evolutionism, of this only, only one path to redemption, thinking about Europe or Christianity as the last step in human evolution, all of them are going to be suspicious of not being able to make it. So what you are going to have is being forced in order to belong to this uni unipolarity of history, but at the same time, understanding there is a nature in between these Jews and Muslims who converted and become converts and moriscos, who are not being able to leave their impurity behind. That is one path in which racialization happened. Not the only one, but one path that happened and deeply influenced in the Americas that is going to go to different levels of radicality, understanding racialization of, for example, different populations of natives and Africans. But coming back to Jews and Muslims, you have this starting point in modernity in which they are going to be integrated together. This does not mean that these interrelations can be collapsed and overlap. So, for example, while Moriscos has been, have been expelled in the early 16th century without caring if they have been converted or not, Jews or those converted who are conversos were not expelled, but they were permanently under suspicion of inquisition. Okay, so there are differences. And again, we don't need to collapse histories. At the same time, the mechanisms are overlapping with each other. And they are overlapping with each other because it was extremely hard to differentiate one to the other, because most of the Jews belong to the fabric of a Muslim rule society. And I just want to think for a moment is what that means, what that interrelation means. Mm -hmm. Uh, so when we talk about genealogy of racism, just to answer the question directly, there is a genealogy on racism that starts perhaps very early on, okay? And there is some work being done uh, by even younger scholars. I just read an article by Alex Abassi that is coming out that shows actually that actually that, pre that actually precedes, the, the structure precedes for the attitude. And there is a, a great scholar uh, who does black studies Jesse Benjamin, who actually look at how blackness has been developing from the 12th century uh, in North Africa, that is going to get structured in the Americas. So we are not going to talk about the newness, okay? It is true that the idea of purity of blood is not coming from nowhere, there's anti-Semitism. Of course, theological anti-Semitism was deeply influential of, but through the process of modernity, 
there is still going to be, I would say, a starting point of a long process in which all these populations are going to be interrelated. And the system we have today is going to be consequence of this interrelation. So this is why for me, even though it is very important to look a little bit before 1492 to developments of racialization, 1492 becomes this space where all these, all these, uh, all these genealogies of racializations are going to start being interconnected. So I like this idea. I like the tension that you're sort of raising here. One is sort of, you know, critiquing the linearity and the unipolarity of, of, of this pro progress kind of thing. Um, but I think at the same time, also pointing out the ways in which the the multipleness um, of of how how things work. So, and what I mean is that what you're saying is that the mechanisms are the same, but the histories do not have to be the same. So that there's a space there to think very productively and creatively um, around how do we understand how subjectivity is made uh, within certain kinds of political circumstances without collapsing everything and saying that, you know, everybody's the same and they're all affected in the same way. And I, I think that's a really important and productive intellectual space to be in. Um, and I also like this idea uh, that you're sort of putting forward around thinking around how different kinds of genealogies, even racialized genealogies, um, intersect not in linear ways, but perhaps in maybe cyclical ways, uh, you know, historically and, and politically. Absolutely. You know, I think you're completely right about this. You know, I, um, and, and also to understand conflicts, you know, because these communities have conflicts with each other. Okay, so we, you know, um, every time that we gather in the context of critical Muslim studies, it, it comes uh, the questions of of uh, Arab slave trade, you know, as a pro-modern Arab slave trade that has, even though it is not, uh, I, I do not, I don't think that has contributed to the massive kidnapping of people and uh, that we have seen before. This is something that communities need to study with each other. Okay, and it's a moment in which I take, for example, Era Shohat, when she's discussing about Fanon reigns of Judaism. So Fanon, for example, talks about Judaism as my a Jew as my writing misery. And later on, it says that actually ultimate Jews are a white, white man. Okay, so, so can you consider one and the other? Okay, so some of, some of us has emphasized the relationality. And I do believe that it's extremely important to do so, especially in the, in the time we live today. I think this is the place to do, because our academic work is not just academic work in which we reveal all the sources. Nobody can reveal all the sources. We need to have a political commitment, and the political commitment today demands something. But at the same time, Ella Shohat is something interesting with this. It says, look, clearly Fanon has a level of affinity. At the same time, it put the, the different experiences in relationality without collapsing them. And I think that this is exactly what you were saying before, and Ella Shokat and Robert Stam, they said that very, very well before, saying, look, we don't need to be the same in order to thinking that we are under the same system. At the same time, there is enough level of interrelationality for us to actually explore those. Yeah. And I think that when, when I read, for example, critical Muslim studies, when I read, for example, from Salman Saeed, Hatem Basian, the new generation with uh, Alex Abbasi, uh, and, and, and multiple others as well, you know, 
Uh, and I mentioned only men, you know, mostly because I am talking to Osman Jamil. So, you know, I didn't want to mention her name, but I should do it as well. Uh, and it's very, very important to understand the multiplicity of voices we have there. When we actually look, when I actually read this text, they make, they make me ask questions. I need to be honest, I have very little, even though it's growing, conversations with Jewish partners. Very little concept with Jewish partners for multiple reasons that we can explore about the construction of Jewishness in the Americas to the repurposing of the idea of the Holocaust. Uh, you know, we I talk a little bit about my book about this. So my conversations have to do mostly with Afro-Caribbeans, Muslims, Afro-Americans, Natives, Latinos, Latinas, uh, and when they are speaking about their own genealogies of racism, coming back to what I was saying before, is extremely illuminating for me. Because I am seeing their interrelations, I see their conflicts, I see their complicities, but I see their opportunities, I see their erased histories, I see their multiplicities. So for example, for a very long time, I have been working in Jewish decoloniality. And it was not until a decade ago where I truly bumped into not only about Afro-Jewish experience, which I have been related a long time, but also about the constructions of Jewishness that was happening, for example, among Lembas in Zimbabwe and South Africa. Uh, and the construction of Jewish was very interesting. Some people dismiss African Jews, for example, because they say, no, no, they are a product of evangelization. And, uh, and, and as such, there is no connection with real Jewishness. Um, I'm not going to make a historical assessment of this, even though there is enough conversations for us to actually understand that, uh, that, uh, uh, that, that, you know, that these are Jewish communities that come through multiple stages, including Islam and Christianity, but they have Jewish, Jewish ancestors for sure. But even if they were not, the fact that the, in the 19th and 20th century, you have communities in Africa identifying themselves as Jews and creating a different kind of Jewishness make, make me rethink about the role Jews play in coloniality, of erasing Jewish blackness, for example, or erasing the location of Jewishness, or erasing what Jews can talk or not about, erasing that Jews cannot talk just about national sterilization but also about imperial racializations. So with this opens up possibilities by talking to different people that otherwise it wouldn't do. This is why I keep insisting that if coloniality interrelated all of us, the coloniality should be pluriversal. So yes, I like that idea. Um, and I think even more than simply creating sort of horizontal, uh, connections between what you're saying the different uh, the groups that you've mentioned or different ways of thinking it's actually more thinking about the uh, the ways in which racial hierarchies work within and across communities uh, if we're going to think about it through the lens of coloniality um, so i want to actually maybe move us towards as sort of our last question in in this conversation today so where where do we go uh, where do we go from here? I guess, what are some questions to think about that are interesting, um, productive ways to follow certain kinds of threats um, based on 
based on what you've been saying? Yeah, I think we started talking a little bit about the role of um, of uh, the study of the coloniality and religion in American academy. Uh, and I just think that this is an important starting point, and I apologize for those who are listening from different academies, but I think you can create your own parallels and also present their differences. In, in the American Academy, the coloniality now have started to be a buzzword, as very well you, Usma, you were talking before. There's no question about this. Now, does that not mean that there are not people who are doing the coloniality and religion in the American Academy who are doing excellent work? Okay, so they are, and many of them. At the same time, there is an understanding that the coloniality would lead to a new universal consciousness. And this universal consciousness in this particular context is going to be Christian. It's not going to be just Christian, it's going to be Christianity creolized in multiple ways, which I think is actually very interesting, you know? The problem is, I will ask the question is, what is the problem of of emphasizing and limiting the conversation to what is called popular Christianities. And I believe that by doing that, we are erasing certain histories that they don't want to present themselves as Christian, some of them who will not be Christian. And I will just say that ultimately, it's almost, a, almost I won't say postmodern because coloniality is very much alive, but and after the fact, success of coloniality, by saying that, okay, since Christianity had colonized the whole world, now we are all Christians and as such, we need to depart from there. I am, I am suspicious, not because I don't believe Christians have something to contribute, but suspicious that we need to limit ourselves there. The role of the coloniality is to create a pluriversality and not to create a new Christian universality with multiple local paths. And I, so I think, so what you're saying is there are actually two things happening here. So one is that critiquing this idea that we will, in a, in a linear fashion, arrive at decoloniality as an endpoint. So, I mean, I think the whole, um, the productivity of coloniality as a lens is simply to say that colonialism was not over and there are ways of thinking and being that continue to exist. Therefore, if we're going to think about decoloniality, there are ways of decolonizing that also continue to persist and endure and, and are reinforced in particular ways so that there is no one particular endpoint. And I think then having said that, the next point has to be that if there is no singular sort of moment of decentering, then what are there there has to be space for productive conversations to continue on in that way. And in your case what you're talking about is sort of Christianity yeah. as the as the lens through which we understand. Exactly. Yes, exactly. So you know I you know you know we I, I pretty I, I really much like you know the book series that Salman Sayer Ramon Grosfuchel have with Pluto that call it you know that uh, call it like postcolonial problems of postcolonial something, the colonial horizons. So the idea of the post-colonial horizons uh, is the idea that, you know, this is not the horizon. A horizon is not something to be re-aged. A, a horizon is uh, an energetical principle, even if you don't, don't mind if I use the term of Marx, an energetical principle for us to actually keep moving towards something. And we are all having elements of complicity. We all reproduce some elements. And this is why the conversations among different people will help us to understand and keep moving. So this is why Latin American decoloniality has made major contributions uh, that I have been beneficial of as a Latin American. And I have been part of these conversations. Uh, critical Muslim studies and decoloniality has made major contributions, and I also I benefited largely. 
the colonial Judaism, you know, is a little bit more in its infancy, but hopefully at some point it will do the same. Okay. Um, so I think that in the conversation, we are going to exactly think that there is another end point to this. There is a permanent struggle. Understanding that we cannot, that, that I can say, that coloniality has created a very orderly mess. And perhaps we need to mess the orderly mess in order to go somewhere. Okay, this this mess has a strategy. This is why very well Walter Mignolo called global designs. Okay, uh, it's, it's a very orderly mess, and perhaps we need yeah. to shake a shake with these interrogations uh, and alternative histories and alternative possibilities interrelations. We need to mess a little bit the order in order to construct multiple orders that they don't, are not going to be submitted only to one of them. This is why I am questioning the idea of unilearity, as you were saying before, the end point, but also the idea that I think that has animated a lot of us. I, I'm sorry, I don't want to include you, Usma, but you know, has animated me for a long time, which is the idea of universal consciousness. And there's going to be a class who's going to get it and it's going to liberate all of us, okay? Yes, and then we will have, we will be saved, we will have arrived, you know, the revolution exactly. is over. You know, so whatever happens, so the newness is, might be in, of course, in Buenos Aires, because I am from Buenos Aires, so this is where it's going to be, and it's not going to be. And even though, I repeat, there is certain population that has suffering, the, 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 the weight, the weight of coloniality in such a way that they can theorize in a more, more punched ways, uh, this, and I will say, or that if we are going to compare my sources of, for example, European Jews to Afro-Caribbeans, I will just say that I do believe that Afro-Caribbeans can theorize in a much more pungent way because they see the problem, you know, that perhaps European Jews are going to be more limited to it. That does not mean that European Jews, before the Holocaust especially, didn't see anything. And I didn't see that Afro-Caribbeans saw the whole. But I do believe that there is a possibility of doing it, okay? And by ourselves or reading multiple literatures and multiple philosophies and multiple, we will be able to build something out of it, okay? Because the point is that we are not limited, okay, to our own ancestors because there are other ancestors we can learn from as well. And this is like, right. you know, so I, like I like your idea. Oh, sorry to interrupt. I like your idea of this. Uh, having multiple, but I think multiple disordering. <laughs> so you know, not like what you're saying about sort of messing up the messing up the what was it you said? Uh, messing messing the messing uh, messy the, order. The, yes, messing up the order. Um, okay. So on that note, uh, Santiago, I just want to say thank you for for joining me in this conversation today. It's been very interesting, and uh, I hope we'll have a chance to do so again uh, another well, time. Thank you so much for having me. This is another episode of In Conversation, brought to you by Network Reorient, the podcast arm of Critical Muslim Studies. Thank you for tuning in. Have a listen to our other episodes and please leave a like and a rating.